For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk for the first time this year to Alex Kozora, uh, a aficionado and writer of the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers content. And Alex, first of all, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ken. Thanks so much for having me back on. It's uh, It's been a weird day. Heinz Field is no more. And if you needed one more change this offseason for the Pittsburgh Steelers, there you go. And we're, we're here, of course, to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers as they enter camp, what their situation is, all the changes that are going on. And Acrisure Stadium, do I pronounce it correctly? I'm still working on it myself. I, yeah, I think that's right, Acrisure. But man, that I, I get mush mouth sometimes and that is not going to help me. Heinz was a whole lot more natural sounding. It has a terrible, terrible field, and you know, not a not a company that just rolls off the tongue. Certainly, I'm sure they got their reasons. But I did notice on, on the Ravens boards, somebody had already posted a uh, made a post basically saying, "What's a an acronym we can come up for with for Acrisure that would you know insult mm-hmm. the Steelers fans in certain ways?" So anyway, unnecessary, but no doubt. Uh, uh, met in the worst possible way. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, it's great to have you, Alex. Let's let's get jump right into it in terms of the Steelers' off season. Of course, I think that the biggest part of the off season was probably the draft, and uh, you know, it's always a big year when you get a quarterback with your first pick. It is, and and certainly the draft is gonna. It's like 0-4 all over. You know, Kenny Pickett's gonna be the pass fail guy, reflective of this whole class. But honestly, it was the biggest free agent 
Pittsburgh has ever had in terms of money spent, in terms of aggressiveness. Now, with Ben's contract off the books, that created more cap space. So it's not a surprise to see those things kind of go hand in hand. But in terms of signing a quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, in terms of signing offensive lineman, James Daniels, Mason Cole, to, for Pittsburgh standards, fairly large contracts. So it was their most active free agency and really their busiest and most, I would say, consequential offseason in terms of change since Chuck Noll arrived. And that's not a hyperbole either. I mean, that is, this team has changed in so many ways. They've been the model of stability and they still are in some ways, but you, I, I personally have not experienced this amount of turnover and change in a singular offseason. Yeah. So we're going to try and hit on all of that. Uh, you know, another element of change would be not picking up the fifth year option on uh, uh, the inside linebacker. Devin uh, Bush. So, yeah. Devin Bush. Another, you know, seemingly a pretty good player. A little bit surprising. Maybe they didn't they didn't pick up that option. I would say that I'm not super surprised just given how poor he was last year. Now, there's still some reason for optimism and hope in 2022. He's two years removed from the torn ACL. He's going to have a better defensive line in front of him. He'll have a, a quality coach in Brian Flores. You talk about all the changes and in, in acquisitions. Brian Flores might be the most impactful one of them all. Uh, but just given Bush's poor performance last year, I'm not surprised to see that option decline. All right. All right. So we'll get to all of these and, and, and come back in turn. But let's start with the draft again. Kenny Pickett right up there at number 20 as the as the Steelers first pick. Uh, what did you think about him as a prospect? And does he do you think he fits the Steelers mold? I think he fits what Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, is looking to run. He wasn't going to be my choice at 20, to be honest. And maybe it's become a little tired to say, but you do wonder in an AFC North with elite level guys or guys who have capable of having those elite moments like Lamar Jackson, like Joe Burrow, like Deshaun Watson, whenever he sees the field, can Kenny Pickett provide those highs? I think you can be a competitive team with a solid quarterback, the quote-unquote game manager type, but are you ever going to get over that hump? And Pittsburgh's right now trying to find a way to get over that hump. They have not won a playoff game in six straight years. That's the longest drought since the mid-60s, early 70s, right before Chuck Noll arrived and as he was building that team up. And so my overall question is, can Pickett provide those really high-level, off-platform throws, the takeover-a-game moments? Um, and I don't know about that. But I think certainly he's a solid prospect. He was considered the most, quote-unquote, pro-ready kind of guy. He's going to fit well in Canada's boot-heavy, play-action-heavy, work-under-center um, ideology. But you just wonder, will Kenny Pickett ever truly be a top-10 quarterback in this league? I think he'll be in that top-15 range which is almost worse than being bad because when you're top 15, you're just kind of stuck in quarterback purgatory, like Kirk Cousins, mm-hmm. for example. And, and that's the concern there. Yeah. And that, and that actually is the upside because you can be, you can slip to number 22 in the league and all of a sudden you're Baker Mayfield. Right. And you know, it's, it's, it's really hard and damaging to the franchise. And uh, this is one other thing we really wanted to talk about when we're talking about the quarterback is here is whether you thought any of the Baker, Baker Mayfield uh, drivel in recent days was real. Yeah, I never bought it really for a second. And, and that stuff, like every two months, a story kind of comes out about that. Um, Pittsburgh, once they signed Mitch Trubisky, they were not going to bring in another veteran quarterback. And Baker's better than Trubisky, but they weren't going to make that kind of move. Um, I didn't see the Browns having any sort of incentive to trade him to Pittsburgh. And when they drafted Kenny Pickett, then obviously those were your guys. So to me, that was, I don't know if that was to drum up trade value, as you kind of suggested before the show. I, I kind of don't buy that. Um, I think that was just offseason fodder run amok. Okay. 
All right. It sounds like something maybe the Browns front office might have tried to through a backdoor creative. They were trying to increase the value or trying to get the Panthers to move. It didn't work. They tried it. I mean, it really didn't work. (laughs) Uh, Mason Rudolph still around as that third quarterback. You think he stays on the team? That's a good question. You know, you you wonder what will happen when a, a quarterback needy team that loses a guy in the preseason if they come calling for a guy like Mason Rudolph. He'll be a free agent after this year. Um, theoretically, the Steelers are framing it as if uh, Rudolph's in the running for the starting job. The odds of him getting the nod week one against the Bengals are very low. It would have to take Trubisky probably getting hurt or just imploding mm-hmm. and Pickett simply not being ready. So I think there's value in keeping him as that kind of maybe trusty number three, that more veteran type guy. But if some team offers a fifth, which to me is a stretch, but if someone gets desperate as teams may come the summer, then then that's possible that he moves. Um, so I don't know. My guess right now is that he stays, but I think it's a fluid situation. Okay. I mean, that's Baker Mayfield value. You're talking about getting for... Uh, well, it, it's not Baker Mayfield money, though, on that contract. And that was yes, the real big sticking good. point in Cleveland was that contract. Yep. So Mason Rudolph, you know, obviously a reasonable backup quarterback option for somebody who's who's desperate if they if they lose their primary and have their have their secondary guy starting all of a sudden let's talk about the rest of the draft a little bit George Pickens at number 52 wide receiver uh and again Steelers seem to do this in in most years is they draft a couple of receiving types now they didn't really do that in 2021 but they did with with Pickens and Austin this year Austin I don't know if you saw the Peter King article was in theory a target of the Ravens, and they drafted a punter instead uh, at that spot, Jordan's Town. Yeah, I remember reading that story right after the draft, and think the Ravens had so many picks in that round, though, so they can only you know look be mad at themselves because they had what like six picks in the fourth round. They took a couple guys mm-hmm. before Calvin Austin, but um, it's it's funny. It feels like Baltimore takes every player that I want the Steelers to draft every year. So I felt a tiny bit of indication that Pittsburgh kind of got one over on Baltimore. Yeah, it, it, it is, there's some of that both ways for me in terms of how these kind of things go. But uh, DeMarvin Leal at number 84, a guy I liked on the interior. I did not like him as much as as uh, Travis Jones, but I did like him in in, uh, in a group of guys who, uh, you know, probably ends up as a 3-5 uh, swing guy. Yeah, Leal, to be honest, was my least favorite selection Pittsburgh made the entire draft because I don't know exactly what he does in this Steelers defense. Um, he played more on the edge at Texas A&M, played at 280 mm-hmm. pounds. P- Pittsburgh's bulked him up to about 295, 300 to be more of that traditional three-tech, maybe a little bit of four-eye as well. Um, but whenever you add weight for a guy who was kind of banking on athleticism and pass rush, how much is that going to impact? You're not quite sure. Back in the old days, you take the 290-pound guy that was a a four-three defense as a one-tech and make him three hundred and five pounds, and he was he was a run defender in college. Will be a run defender in the NFL. It's a little different equation right now. Um, and then honestly, his run defense, Leal's run defense, was pretty poor. And for a Pittsburgh Steelers defense that was not only thirty-second in run defense last year, but historically bad, their worst mark ever. Leal's not going to probably probably be the remedy to those issues. And so you know he's got some potential. Um, he was viewed as a first-round pick potential guy two years ago. So I understand there's some pedigree there that Pittsburgh certainly like sneaking after the quarterback and gap shoot and penetrate but you just wonder if he's going to be that awkward tweener in this defense and, and not quite find it home hey, did, did the Steelers let Chris Wormley uh walk this offseason no he's still on the team and he may be your okay. starting left defensive end week one in your base three four with Stephon Tewitt retiring and they signed Larry Ogunjobi one of their you know mm-hmm. most recent Parisian signings and we'll see how exactly those guys mix and match but Wormley's in the final year of his deal but still uh, on this team okay 
viable player there. We liked him in Baltimore. Actually, I was really sorry to see him go, and he did some good things for Pittsburgh this last year. Um, how about other free agent additions? Let's talk about that, and then we can get into the camp battles a little bit. Sure, the offensive line. Uh, that's been the X factor last year, and it was the biggest reason why Pittsburgh's offense struggled. And so the Steelers were adamant about improving that this year. And two guys they signed within the first week of free agency, the first couple of days, was James Daniels uh, from Chicago and Mason Cole from Minnesota. Now, Cole, I project to be this team's starting center week one, and Daniels at right guard. To me, Daniels, with that signing, the second he put pen to paper, became the Pittsburgh Steelers' best offensive lineman, which, granted, it was a pretty low bar to clear, but I thought he played his best ball last year. Dude's 25. He's athletic. He can work in a zone scheme, work in a power scheme. Um, I think his best football overall is ahead of him, and that's that's your true replacement for David DeCastro, who you lost, didn't have last year, went with a veteran in Trey Turner. That was okay, but not what it needed to be. Mason Cole is never going to be a Pro Bowl caliber guy, but he's going to bring stability to that center position that Kendrick Green did not last year as a rookie that was fish out of water, was a guard in college. They tried to make him a center. It just didn't work out. So I think if Cole's a decent run blocker and just doesn't have the valleys in his game that Kendrick Green did, that's going to be an overall solid signing. But offensive line, you know, how it looks with a guy like second year left tackle, Dan Moore Jr., Kevin Dotson, third year. Yeah, Cole, yeah, Daniels. You have a new offensive line coach the third and three years. That's that's your X factor right there. Okay. Uh, Cole uh, really struck me as a guy who, a very tall guy, uh, who also is very slight, very slender, a uh, little bit unusual for this division. You know, you got some monsters in the middle, certainly in, in, the, in this division to try and block and uh, generally not a good thing to be both tall and thin uh, at center. That's a fair point. Um, but I, 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 Kendrick Green was not going to get the job done. And I think Pittsburgh really misevaluated him. There was a point last year where they said that they were looking for a center to replace Marquise Pouncey, who was day one ready. And they took an underclassman who played guard at Illinois. And that guy was not day one ready. So, I mean, they just really was overwhelmed. He's going to, Green's going to try to battle for the left guard spot, probably become more of the swing man, interior swing guy this year. So just given how bad Green was last year, I think anything's going to be an improvement there. Okay, Green was the the second round pick last year. Uh, third round pick last year. Third yeah, round Friday pick. was okay. round two. Okay, very good. Uh, how about uh, other free agent additions? You mentioned the two on the offensive line. Who else? Yeah, again, it was usually I'm talking about one guy that they signed for three million dollars, and I'm trying mm-hmm. to convince I'm trying to convince you, Ken, that this is the the signing of the century that everyone needs to get excited <laughs> about. Uh, but Pittsburgh had you know, and again, there was a J.C. Jackson eighty million dollar deal, but. Miles Jack defensively, two years, $16 million. Uh, this team's been playing fine that off-ball linebacker for since Ryan Chazier, essentially, uh, with Joe Schobert, Avery Williamson, dra- drafting and trading up for Devin Bush, et cetera. So I think Jack's the best cover guy they've had since Ryan Chazier. Um, other, you know, Mitch Trubisky, obviously, I, I think he's going to be the favorite entering uh, training camp and more than likely than not the, the starter week one at Cincinnati. Uh, Gunnar Olszewski is going to be a returning guy, kicks and punts. He was an all-pro two years ago. I'm not really sure why the Patriots didn't bring him back, but um, I think he's uh, going to wear, uh, be in that role after the team lost Ray Ray McLeod to the 49ers. Um, Levi Wallace, a corner, underrated guy. You know, Trey White got all the, all the uh, clicks and headlines over in Buffalo, but Wallace has been a really steady guy. Not going to be a, a, a number one shutdown Jamar Chase kind of corner, uh, but this team re-signed to Kelly Witherspoon, who was their, their best cover corner the last four to six weeks of last season. So um, really solid moves, nothing that's going to make you, you know, transform this team. I think Daniels was that, that marquee signing, but really good role players, which is, 
you know, all going to, I think, add up when you uh, add the collective group of not just one guy, not just Mason Cole, not just Wallace, but all of them together. It's going to make this team better and stronger. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, let's go kind of position group by position group. And I want to talk uh, some of the battles there for positions. You've, you've highlighted on a couple things. But let's start on the defensive side of the ball. And I'll start at inside linebacker where there is, you know, there are two apparent starters in Bush and Jack. But uh, what, do you, what do you see in terms of the other guys there? Uh, Spillane is still around this year? He is, yeah. I mean, it's going to be Devin Bush and just hoping that he can bounce back after a really dreadful 2021 20, season, which he could. I think those factors working in his favor, but it's really all up to him at this point. There's been a lot of implied comments from former players that he needs to work harder, and I don't know exactly what that looks like, if that's film study. I feel, I feel like this guy worked really hard to get medically cleared last year. Like, he was ready for day one at training camp, so I feel like this guy put in the time, but there's been some comments like, you know, Devin Bush has to want it and stuff like that. So take that for whatever it's worth. And then Jack opposite, but behind him, Spillane, uh, Marcus Allen, special teams guy. They drafted a guy, Mark Robinson, in the seventh round, a former running back turned linebacker who's going to try to you know run and hit on special teams. Buddy Johnson, a fourth round pick from a year ago as well. So there's a lot of, mm-hmm. there'll be a lot of depth in, in competition battling for those couple of backup off ball linebacker spots. But Jack and Bush are starters. Are they committed nickel team, or have they played a fair amount of dime last year such that they're taking their weak side off the field on third down? I'd have to check the numbers. I think dime usage went down last year. Um, they, mm-hmm. When you lose Mike Hilton and Steven Nelson, you got a lot of young guys like Trey Norwood you're trying to, to fit and make work. They, they were in dime, I think, a little bit less. Some of that situational just based on how many. If it's third and six plus, they're usually in dime. So that's a, that's a little game flow dependent, but... Um, you know, nickel was probably used a bit more than it, than it had been two years ago. Right. So when you have the lead a lot, you, you get to play a lot of dime, obviously, right. in the second half if you're and up two touchdowns. Pittsburgh was so playing catch-up. Their first half yeah. offense was abysmal. I think they were the worst first half offense in football by a considerable margin last year. Okay. It does sound like there are a lot of similarities, frankly, between the Ravens inside linebacker situation, which is very much in flux. And what's going on with the Steelers? Obviously, Miles Jack, you're really hoping for a new foundation kind of player. Uh, he's only signed for two years. Right. But still, that's a big that's a big contract. Yeah, I feel like every year I, I talk to you about Patrick Queen. Is Queen still, is he like Devin Bush where you're just not sure which way to go, which way he's going to go? I'll, I'll just, you know, he's one year removed. He's a one year offset from Bush. And now Queen this year will play for his uh, fifth year option. Okay. And if that doesn't work, then he's probably a four year Raven. Uh, some of the same things have been said. There's a lot of, because the Ravens are a very tight-lipped organization, players really rarely rag on other players. But you can see it on the field when they emote at, mm. at him after a bad play. And he's just is has a lot of flaws in coverage. And they really had to bring in Josh Bynes to take, who's now, what, 100 years old? No, he's really, he's 33 or something. I mean, he's, he's, he's really up there. I still feel like in 2029... You know, mentioning Josh Bynes to an underperforming inside linebacker is going to be like mentioning Kaiser Soze to scare him straight. <laughs> but uh, but he's he's come in and he, he did a really good job uh, last year at at not only solidifying the mic position but also um, being a key off who Queen could work. And so I think from day one they may start with the guy who has the faster play speed and much slower, much less of an athlete in Bynes at the mic. Have Queen at the will and and see how that uh, how that plays out. And I, I don't want to even get into it. We're, this is we're talking about sure, no, I today, but but but, uh, but you know we're a year away from basically having to make the same decision as the Ravens are. 
that, that they uh, just had to make about Devin Bush. And it's it's a, a difficult one. You know, a lot of invested capital, right. uh, but the capital is sunk costs. And the Steelers and, and Ravens, neither one of them are organizations that can afford to be stupid about that. Yeah. And, and again, with Devin Bush, it's not only that like he was supposed to be the replacement for Ryan Shazier, it was that you trade up for him. And that's only the third mm-hmm. time Kevin Corbett's ever traded up in the first round. And the first two guys were for Troy Polamalu and Santonio Holmes. One's a Hall of Famer, one caught a Super Bowl. So there was... There were so much expectations that maybe Bush couldn't have ever lived up to that, but undeniably, he, he struggled last year. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like we're in a period, and this was, to me, the, the draft of the two Devons, Devin Bush, Devin White in the same draft at 5 and mm-hmm. 10, was kind of the peak of inside linebacker overvaluation uh, that we've had in recent years. I think almost like wide receiver, like running back, where a lot of teams are backing off from big contracts at those positions. And it, wide receiver, it's parting like the Red Sea into two groups in the NFL between the guys who want to pay for wide receiver and the guys who don't. And the teams that don't want to are some of the really with it organizations. That doesn't mean they're right. But but right as of right sure. now, it's you know the Packers and the Chiefs and the Ravens are saying no to it. And uh, and a lot of the other teams are saying, yeah, you know, give us Tyreek Hill for thirty million, and we'll trade you a whole bunch of draft picks as well. Well, not to get off topic, but you know, Pittsburgh's in that camp with Deontay Johnson, the, the biggest storyline this mm-hmm. summer. One of them is going to be, will he get a contract extension? And this receiver market's heated up so much, it's pushed his number up and probably reduced the chances of that happening. To your question about the off-ball linebackers, that's a good one. I hadn't considered it too much because uh, I just stay so focused on my my Steelers world of it all. Um, you do wonder, because the NFL is so cyclical as the 4-3 linebackers become so popular, teams are going heavier. I mean, when you play Baltimore, you're playing 12 personnel, 13 personnel, you know, half the time. And so that small linebacker who gets swallowed up by the guard or can't take on the tight end, um, you just wonder if offenses are going to, in some ways, correct. And you're in an AFC North with really good run games with the Browns and Chubb and Hunt, a really good offensive line, and the Bengals have Joe Mixon, a super underrated back, and Ravens' run game is going to be 10 times better this year, which is the health of that group overall. So I just wonder, is there an overcorrection of you're so focused on the guy that can cover that you lose that run defense? And again, for Pittsburgh last year, historically bad run defense, and and that cannot fly again for this team to have any sort of chance this year. Uh, those guys are still out there. The the two down thumpers are still out there, and I've been I've made the point with the Ravens fan base a fair amount on this show that, that you, you might be better off platooning. I know you can save a ton of money. I know it's a lot easier to find replacements who are specialists mm-hmm. than it is to find the three down unicorn right. out there. I, I'm trying to find out what's the really good reason why people keep drafting an inside linebacker in round one. Sure, you might get Ray Lewis. You might get might get Mosby and uh, Mosley, and that might be acceptable. But you know, you're, you're otherwise... You seem to be taking a big gamble. A lot of the ones recently have not worked out. Uh, White, you know, went to a Super Bowl, but he hasn't been that great either, honestly. Uh, you look at, at Jordan Brooks in Seattle and and Queen. I mean, it's just there's it, been a lot of players who just haven't quite delivered on that for, first round value. I would say for Pittsburgh, whenever they lose a guy, they, they a high level guy, they wanted to try to replace him with a similar player right away. Antonio Brown, Deontay Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan Chazier, Devin Bush, and so they're always kind of trying to for lack of a better phrase, chase that high of the guy they had before. And and that's what Devin Bush was supposed to be, the next Ryan Chazier. And obviously that is not planned. It has not panned out and, and worked out the way this team hoped for. All right. All right. Well, uh, let's talk about some other position groups. How about the defensive line? And, and you can include the edges in that if you want to or not. Yeah, it's been, again, last year, this team was so des- – 
the Steelers defensive line was decimated by injuries the way the Ravens running backs and cornerback room mm-hmm. last year were hit hard by injuries. You go into the year thinking Stephon Tewitt's going to be available. He has a knee issue. His brother's killed in a hit and run during the summer. Doesn't play a snap last year. You go into the season thinking Tyson Alualu, you're really stout, no stackle, found the fountain youth is going to be that guy. He's lost five quarters into the year, fractured ankle, done for the year. And so it was Cam Hayward and a bunch of dudes that no one's ever heard of trying to figure this thing out. And it got so bad at one point that Cam Hayward was playing true base nose tackle last year because there was no backup there. And so you had rookies like Isaiah Latimoke, a fifth-round pick uh, in last year's draft, um, a guy named Isaiah Bugs who really struggled uh, you know, above the neck, ends up getting cut, Henry Mondeau playing more snaps than he ever should. Wormley was okay overall, had seven sacks, run defense was serviceable, the pass rush quality okay overall. Uh, all that to say is that it's in a much better place this year. Oluwalu's back. They poached Montrevious Adams off the Saints practice squad late last year. He was a positive impact and influence overall. He resigned. He signed Larry Ogunjobi, who was supposed to get that $40 million deal in Chicago. That falls through due to a failed physical with a foot injury. He comes to Pittsburgh on a one-year $8 million deal. Loudermilk in year two. You do draft Leal. Hopefully, and, and, and his team needs it, this defense line will be back to its top 10 self in terms of run defense in 2022. So it seems like a, a uh, fairly much an older line at this point, too. Wormley, obviously, it's not really as much a question with age as it is with him uh, uh, aging out of his current deal and becoming a free agent. But this has been a problem with the Ravens, too, is that they didn't have a lot of youth on the defensive line. They finally rebuild it with a draft pick this year. Uh, and they have, you know, another guy in year three, in fact, two other guys in, in year three. Um, are you concerned about at, at all about that? Because I've looked at the last couple of drafts and they've been very thin on the defensive line. I would say for Pittsburgh, obviously, four, three versus three, four. It's really about two down yeah. versus three down fronts. But Pittsburgh still values that six, five, 300 pound, 34 inch length defense alignment. And you cannot find those guys in these drafts anymore because everyone's getting small. Everyone's going tweener. And Leal is not a big guy. He's like six, three, played 280, I think 32 and a half, 33 inch arms. He's not even the prototype, but was about the closest thing you could find. That's why they traded up for Loudermilk last year. He was the big Wisconsin guy, 6'6", 300 pounds. His length actually isn't even that great. Um, so the scarcity of that is tough to find. It's going to be really hard to replace the next Cam Hayward because right. just even the body type does not exist, let alone the potential and the talent there. Um, so, yeah, to, to that point, it, it is an older group in some ways with Hayward, Aluwalu, Almost certainly in the last year of his NFL career, the dude's 35. He's played really good football, but this is probably going to be it for him. And so how do you replace that going forward in this changing you know, college game will be, I think, an overlooked challenge uh, this, this, this team and this defense will face. Yeah, it's, it was an interesting draft because I really expected there to be more on the defensive line after a COVID draft and the, all the opt-outs that occurred in 2020 meant that people were delaying their time in the NFL by a year for to, to get that one extra year of college eligibility. And then the, the defensive line, honestly, pretty freaking thin class. Uh, is, it was surprising to me that the, the Ravens were able to you know to wait and get Travis Jones at 76. But this, this is a... Uh, it's not a time at which I'd want to be trying to youthify my defensive line. And that's what the Ravens find themselves trying to do. Well, Travis Jones seemed like a perfect fit because he was one of those kind of rare guys who seemed to fit the mold really well overall, had a really strong senior bowl week. I was down there in Mobile, dude crushed it. And Pittsburgh had 
zero interest in him. They weren't even at his pro day. They didn't send anybody to his UConn wow. pro day. And so I don't know if there's – I don't know of any character stuff with him. He seemed clean to me. Maybe there was a medical going on. But I, I wondered the heck out of that one because Travis Jones felt like that prototypical Steelers defensive lineman. And, of course, he goes to Baltimore, and, and their lack of interest there was concerning. Well, it, it, that's interesting because, I mean, even – you should go to players pro day just if they happen to drop into your range. If you have concerns, other teams may as well. Right. And then you know you have a you have at least a chance to fall in. I think that's actually what happened with Jones. Is is you know they 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 probably knew he was a reach at forty five. The Ravens try and avoid that when they can, so they didn't they didn't take him. And uh, and he happened to fall all the way to seventy six, and they're, and they're happy he did. But uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 strange to me because it seems like there should have been a lot of teams pulling the trigger in that in that. Uh, third round yeah i mean they draft they draft lee allen so those guys i guess in some sense will be kind of quasi compared um to me jones was the better player and time will tell okay all right well let's let's talk about the secondary uh the safety group uh to start with maybe yeah again like i said last year one of the issues this defense had in the secondary was there was such a shuffling of pieces uh you lose mike hilton to cincinnati you release steve uh, Steven nelson because of the, the cap crunch and you're trying to, to clear up cap space to and you had to let when you're starting cornerbacks go um so you know cam sutton who was the swiss army knife this dime guy that could play all over the field ends up being a starting outside corner became less flexible in terms of your sub package defense you have young guys like trey norwood a rookie who played well but was still a rookie this team had a really tough time trying to find a slot corner during training camp they went through four or five different guys trying to find someone who fit overall this year i think there's more continuity more stability and more talent uh, levi wallace coming over i got like norwood in year two we'll see what demonte casey signed right after the draft can can bring to this team um what i think one issue with last year was you know, everyone thinks Mika Fitzpatrick's this center fielder playing 20 yards deep. He doesn't. He does sometimes, of course, but he's at his best when he can be able. To, he's able to spin down post-snap, play that robber alert coverage, and take stuff mm-hmm. away underneath. And what happened last year was you had less flexibility there because you didn't have a Mike Hilton or a Cam Sutton that could spin down or spin back and rotate uh, post-snap. This year, I think you're going to have more of that with Norwood, who's more experienced, more trusted, Casey as well. Um, and so I think that's going to make Minka a lot better. That that's a fantastic point. I, I've often I've often said that when you have two free safeties, then you have true uh, safety yep. flexibility. When I when I hear somebody talk about their flexible safeties, I think that means they've got two strong safeties. I know what that, <laughs> I know what that language means. But Minka, I don't think of him as that. But yeah, I think of him as the completely versatile piece. It's more like a Kyle Hamilton mm-hmm. that, that can probably help you a lot of different ways. Uh, but but we'll see how that goes. And I'm just happy that that uh, having Marcus Williams this year, the, the Ravens have adjusted themselves on the, on the back end. One guy that I saw is fairly far down on the Steelers' depth chart, but is a guy who's still interesting to me is Carl Joseph. Any chance he makes the Steelers? It's unlikely unless there's injury there. Um Pittsburgh tried to sign him during last year's offseason. He went back to the Raiders. He ends up getting cut by them and signed to Pittsburgh's practice squad. Played in, I want to say, two games. And the Denver game logged a couple of snaps. But um, you know, P- Pittsburgh loved him coming out of West Virginia. He was a local product overall. But um, mm-hmm. you have Terrell Edmonds at strong safety. Casey's going to be in the mix. It, there's a left depth there. If, if there's an injury, perhaps he's able to, to make his way on. But I wouldn't expect much from him in 2022. Okay, so they've got room for veterans of, of his ilk on the practice squad now under the current rules. So uh, you can always uh, take a chance on, on keeping him there. How about let's go to cornerback and talk about that group. 
Yeah, like I said, you you signed Levi Wallace over from Buffalo and a really cheap deal, two years, $8 million. A Kelly Witherspoon uh, signed for the same amount, so it's a really cheap cornerback room. What they need from Witherspoon to start with is he's got to find consistency. The talent's always been there, even dating back to his 49ers days. Can he do it over a full, now 17-game season? And this is a guy that got traded over from Seattle last year, fifth-round pick right before the year began, and... It felt like a disaster for the first 10 weeks of the year because he was a weekly inactive, wasn't playing at all. Then Joe Hayden gets hurt, and the door opens for Akella Witherspoon. And like I said earlier, he became this team's top cover corner down the stretch. Vikings game had an awesome performance, helped bring that team almost back to, to victory in that one. Um, and so he's got to – because here's my issue. Who's going to cover Jamar Chase twice a year? Who's going to cover some of these elite receivers? And I think Cam Sutton's a good player. I think Levi Wallace is a good player. Those guys can't lock up Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase wrecked Pittsburgh last year. And it's not just him. Of course, it's other you know top receivers around the league as well. It's such a receiver-heavy uh, you know world we're living in right now. Witherspoon is the guy that has the traits and the talent to be that guy. So that's where it starts. Wallace, Sutton, a bit more complimentary pieces. Um, how things will even look in terms of the base defense, who the, the outside corners will be, I'm not even quite sure right now. Is it going to be Witherspoon and Sutton? Will it be Wallace and Witherspoon, et cetera, et cetera? Will Sutton play in the slot more this year? That's logical. We'll just have to wait and see. But there's more depth. There's more talent, more stability. Um, but I think it really depends on is Witherspoon more than just the flash in the pan that he was last year. Okay. But there, there are four or five guys, and I guess that would include Wallace, uh, do, are, do they excite you the way that they should in terms of a, of uh, of who they are for the Steelers? You're talking about Levi Wallace or, or which guy yeah, specifically? Yeah, I'm talking about like there, there are four or five corners. Okay. Like, okay, everybody everybody needs three corners. You need a slot corner. You need two outside guys. And then in this world, at least, you know, coming from the Ravens experience last year, <laughs> you need, that you ain't need, enough. You need 10. Yeah, you need, no, you need yeah. four corners because you're going to lose somebody yeah. and someone's got to step up. Um, the depth starts to become a little more questionable there. James Pierre is, I think, a really talented corner, second-year guy from Florida uh, International. I always get Florida Atlantic in Florida he, International. He's not the same guy who spent some time with the Ravens, at least on their practice squad, is he? No, he was signed as an undrafted free okay. agent, so I think it's a different guy. Um, but he took his lumps last year, um, some rookie mistakes above the neck type things he's got to work on overall. Justin Lane is there as well, but he's really just a glorified special teamer. And Gunner, which I love, I can appreciate, but he was a third-round pick that just never worked out as a cornerback. It's one of Pittsburgh's many, many misses in the draft when it comes to the position. So, you know, depth gets a little tricky in terms of the outside stuff, but you do have a solid three, and I have not uh, given up hope on James Pierre. All right. All right. Well, very good. Very good. You didn't really talk about the edges earlier, but I, I know you expect a uh, defensive player of the year year out of Watt. So let's not even bother to talk about him unless you want to say something. Uh, well, I, th- I think the only really interesting question with Watt is can he break the single season sack record? Tied it last year, 22 and a half, playing, missing two games and missing halves of two more. So he basically missed three games last year and, and still tied Strahan's mark and didn't eat Brett Favre to take a dive to do that either. Just saying. Um, and so he's going to be, you know, fantastic because, as everyone knows, he's, he's T.J. Watt. Well, one one of the things that would help is if the Steelers are offensively good. If they are, if they can generate some leads, then Watt can hunt. But if if the if they're playing from behind all the time, and that's what makes his twenty two and a half last year even that much more impressive, is you know there are not lots of obvious situations where the other team has to pass on well, to come back late in a game. Let's say. Yeah, it's incredible that T.J. Watt was able to tie the sack record, and the Steelers led the league in sacks again, fifth year running, and they 
with 32nd and run defense. I'm not sure if that's ever happened mm-hmm. before, but it happened last year. It's a weird combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, on the other side, Alex Highsmith, a, a guy who, you know, I like, but uh, would you say he took a sideways step uh, last year or maybe even a slight step back in terms of his play? I know I'm not someone who watched the 70 Steelers and has, has been the training camp for 50 years now, but Alex Highsmith had the best training camp performance I've ever personally seen from a Steeler last year. That didn't quite translate over to the regular season. He pulled his groin in week one against Buffalo and had to fight through that. Down the stretch, though, he had four sacks over his final four games, including the wild card loss, and his overall play really got better. Finished the year with six sacks total. His run defense has improved. His power, his bull rush is a lot more impactful. He was really underpowered coming out of Charlotte, needed to add weight and get stronger overall. So, you know, he's not going to be the, the 15 sack guy because TJ Watt is that guy, but I think he is is rounding the corner into becoming a really good complement to TJ Watt. He's got to be able to refine his pass rush moves a bit more. I charted all of his third and fourth down rushes last year, and there's a lot of moves, and that's good, but the, the best pass rushers only need two or three. You know, James Harrison mm-hmm. was speed the bull in a dip move. Uh, Dwight Freeney was, uh, you know, speed in, around the edge and the inside spin. spin. Um, you don't need nine moves. you got to find maybe three that work for you. He's got the spin, chop, and bull might be his ticket. So I think just honing in on, his, on those go-to moves is going to be the best thing for him. Is he a, is a, a elite enough athlete that a left tackle in this league is going to respect over respect the first move he makes? That to me is the, is the big thing, and I think we have that with Adafi Owe here in oh, Baltimore. Oh sure, yeah. I mean, who's more athletic he's, he's than that guy? Um, yeah, yeah. Highsmith's not that guy, but I think he's a good enough athlete overall to to at least. I'll put it this way. You know, he's really dominated Jedrick Wills in, in Cleveland. That's a good left tackle. He had some injury issues, mm-hmm. issues last year. But um, I think he's athletic enough to be able to threaten, let's say, to the outside and counter with an inside spin. He's not, you know, to the level of that top-tier athlete. And T.J. Watt is an unbelievable athlete. Like, everyone talks about the grit and the mm-hmm. toughness and the Watt DNA. This guy was a 99th percentile athlete coming out of Wisconsin. Highsmith isn't quite that guy, but I think it's good enough to, to be an NFL pass rusher. Mm-hmm. All right. Outstanding. Uh, let's move over to the offensive side of the ball. We'll start with the offensive line. I think we've talked a little bit about the quarterback situation, so we, we'll, we'll take a pass on that. But the offensive line, you talked a little bit about the new free agents there, but go take us through left to right and where the battles are in camp. Sure. Uh, left to right, projected right now, at least entering training camp. Dan Moore at left tackle, Kevin Dotson left guard, Mason Cole at center, uh, James Daniels right guard, and Chuck Wilmar Corfort right tackle. In terms of battles, I don't know if there's really any true battle the closest thing would probably be uh kevin dodson at left guard versus kendrick green also at left guard mm-hmm. um maybe something at center but probably not i think dodson's going to win that comfortably he should if he doesn't that, that's a big red flag for him but it's really less about the battles and more about can you get a starting five that works well individually and collectively under a new offensive line coach in pat meyer and a new assistant offensive line coach and isaac and isaac williams as well and so that's going to be the key overall and, and like i said earlier this is was last year and remains this year the X factor of this team. I, I I really liked Dan Moore as one of the developmental tackles. I was upset when Pittsburgh got a couple of guys just went the wrong spot. Spencer Spencer Brown went a, a pick before the Ravens had a chance to get him, and I, he was a guy that I, I would have taken a shot on. And then and then of course uh, Dan Moore went to the Steelers, and that was upsetting to to see. They get him in round five, did they? Uh, fourth round. Fourth yep. round. Okay. So Ravens has a couple had a wasted fifth round pick anyway. So so that's you know a little bit upsetting. What happened in, in the fifth sense, round? Who did you guys take? 
uh, Ben Mason. Oh, the, the Michigan the, guy. Is he the, still the full? Yeah, is he not with the team? Uh, well, he he left. The, okay, so it's, he's had a, a kind of a wandering thing. But but uh, he he uh, was cut. Try, they tried to put him on the practice squad. New England poached him and and had him for the necessary three weeks, and they put him back on the practice squad. And uh, the Ravens got him back this off season, so he's in camp again, trying to compete for a job. And we'll see. But the Ravens have a lot of tight ends, and I don't right. think there's a place for him it, right now. It felt but, like he was uh, Patrick Ricard 2.0 because he was like fullback linebacker, defensive lineman type dude, and I thought maybe he would, it felt like a good fit. Yeah, Mason is not. He does not the same size as Ricard, okay. but he's he's a he's a you know a. a and it's supposed to be an impactful blocker. The Ravens have a long history of fullbacks in terms of of getting guy in that fourth round. But let's let's okay. stick to the yeah, Steelers here. <laughs> the Mason pick was just a, it's it's a mess for the Ravens. That's <laughs> one of the real bad ones. But anyway, uh, uh, Dan Moore was a guy I really liked. Do you think he's been through the growing pains in year one? Uh, did you see progression as the season went along? Where, where are you with him? I did, and he was thrown into the fire. I mean, he was your week one starter at left tackle welcome to the nfl and that wasn't really mm-hmm. always the plan it was supposed to be zach banner at right tackle a core for at right tackle banner had issues with his acl recovery doesn't play or barely played at all last season a core four shifts to right tackle and more you're the starting left tackle and he he certainly took his lumps the first game against cleveland against miles garrett he just got destroyed i think he officially only gave up one sack but could have given up five in that game i mean just yeah. and, and, and that's miles garrett so i'm not you know too upset about that the second meeting was better and the question you asked is the big thing. I saw progression in terms of handling bull rushes, has to get better at anchoring and stalling out some of that stuff. But overall, you saw that progression, which you would expect as the year went along. And and I think his strength and his play strength overall will be really important because new offensive line coach Pat Meyer is going to teach aggressive physical pass sets. Like he's all about being aggressive and making his words are make burst significant contact. And, and so he's going right. to want aggressive sets, um, things like that. And and so can Dan Moore have the ability to, to stall out, you know, uh, bull rushes and get on these guys early and win early. If he can do that, I think he can really be something. If not, he may struggle in this new scheme. Well, that, you know, what you just said really speaks to the need for length at that position. That's something the Steelers have obviously been very cognizant of on the defensive line. Uh, more also, I recall being a longer guy over 34 anyway, um, in, in terms of where he was, but that's, uh, that'll be interesting that, that, that he's mentioned that specifically. I was going to ask you how his punch was, uh, cause it was one of the things I was interested in out of the draft, but, but I, how do you look in terms of punch or independent hand usage in terms of, of, of what he brought? Yeah. Well, Meyer's going to teach independent hands, I think a lot more than last year's offensive line coach did. The punch needs work in terms of being consistent with your strike and leverage and things like that. And, and that's where your power is generated from. You can be a great weight, weight room guy. If your technique's a mess, I don't care how much you're benching in the mm-hmm. weight room, you're going to get messed, you know, messed up on Sunday. So I think they're all fixable things. I think those are things he can do, but those are things he must do if he wants to be the long-term guy in Pittsburgh. All right, outstanding. Uh, the tight end group, uh, take us through it. It's really two guys to talk about. Pat Frymuth, who I thought made that, to me, the second toughest transition from college to pro behind quarterback is tight end. And that's partially because most of these college tight ends are just big receivers. They'd never put their hand down in their life. And so Frymuth had done more of that than the, than the typical rookie tight end, but it's still a tough transition overall. And he had a really strong rookie year. He became the new Juju. Once Juju went down, this team needed a third down guy, a security blanket, a sure-handed type of player in Frymouth. And when this guy drops a pass, I mean, everybody stops because it is so rare for that to happen. And so he had a really strong rookie year, was very as advertised coming out of Penn State. Behind him is Zach Gentry, who this time a year ago, I thought 
may not make this roster at all. Was very much a fringe guy, was a raw tight end out of Michigan, played quarterback in high school, super, you know, lanky kind of dude, six eight, struggled with leverage and getting low, had a knee injury two years ago. He really transformed his body, became a better run blocker. And I don't know if this will mean much to Ravens fans, but he's kind of the new Matt Spate, the six offensive lineman, but can kind of catch a little bit. So you don't have to go with the six offensive line, true tackle eligible situations. And so he really made big strides last year. And I have to give credit to new tight ends coach Alfredo Roberts, who I think has done a great job with those guys. One new addition, Connor Hayward, Cam's younger brother. They're officially Pittsburgh is calling him a tight end. I sure hope he's not used as a true inline wide tight end because the dude's 5'11", 230 with like 32-inch arms. That's not going to work in the NFL. So he's really more H-back to me. That'll be kind of a new addition in that fullback, H-back, tight end room. Well, does that mean that Derek Watts' time in Pittsburgh might be over? He had a pretty good year last year, didn't he? Um, On special teams, he did. Very little use on offense overall, partially because his team was playing catch-up so much. It's an interesting question. Will one of the brothers be cut? Will it be Derek or Hayward? I think it's possible that both are kept as if Hayward, because there really is no number three tight end on this team right now. So Hayward could kind of be that quasi-number three tight end, H-back special teamer. So we'll go into camp and see what happens. I think it is plausible, though, that both guys are kept. All right. How about the rest of the running back group? We know Najee Harris will be around. Who else is is going to be there? That's a very good question that I don't really know the answer to right now. In terms of the actual names that are there, it's Benny Snell, who to me is a quality special teamer. I got a lot of respect for Benny Snell because he was big man on campus at Kentucky. This dude set a ton of SEC records and Kentucky records, and they beat Florida for the first time in 30-something years down there because of Benny Snell. And he's a grinded out left wing on punts, special team guy right now. That takes, you got to leave your ego at the door for that one. Um, but as a runner, there really isn't much upside there. Uh, Anthony McFarlane uh, was their fourth round pick a couple of years ago. He has not worked out uh, towards M- MCL last year, got back, barely played at all, has I think 33 carries in his first two years and has done almost nothing so far. They added a couple undrafted guys, and Mateo Durant, a speedster from Duke, Jalen Warren, a bit more of a bigger body type from Oklahoma State. But I think this team could be looking at the waiver wire come cutdowns because I think they need a, need a better defined runner as a backup to Najee Harris. All right, they've, a lot of teams have had success with the waiver wire uh, late on, but this has been a very dry year or two. Uh, in particular, 21 was a terrible year to lose your running backs because there just wasn't anybody out there. Uh, I think it was largely a COVID phenomenon was there weren't a lot of year one guys there. I mean, there, there were, there were some rookies. You didn't know what you had and maybe, maybe you find a guy who meets your, meets your uh, scheme. Um, but the Ravens really missed out on any kind of speed back uh, in, in part because their own guys didn't work out, but, it, but also in part because there just wasn't a ton out there in terms of, of what was on people's practice squads across the league. Yeah, and Pittsburgh's going to, I think, need to find somebody unless somebody steps up in camp, which is possible. Pittsburgh's always had a type of they love the, you know, 5'10", 5'11", 220-plus-pound kind of dude. That's mm-hmm. Najee Harris. That's Benny Snell. That was James Conner. Um, I think looking for a different type of guy has its value. McFarland was maybe supposed to be that guy. I, I, I think maybe one saving grace for McFarland is Matt Canada is his OC. They work together at Maryland. Canada is going to run more of his offense last year. You know, last year was a last year was like you know the old joke with uh, people make married for fifty years is like uh, my wife wanted a dog, I didn't want a dog, so we compromised and got a dog. Like that was Ben in Canada <laughs> last year. Was Canada wanted to run his system, Ben wanted to run his system, so we compromised and Ben ran his system. 
Um, this year, you're going to see under center. You're going to see more jet plays. You're going to see more motion and play action and things like that. And those are things that fit well in McFarland's wheelhouse. So if there is any chance for him to succeed because this offense will be more, quote-unquote, Canada's offense to run, that's going to at least help McFarland's chances to have some sort of role on this team. Yeah, it should help to have a quarterback who doesn't have veto power over everything you say. Right. Basically exactly. in that role. All right. So the wide receiver group, of course, for many years, one of the strongest things Pittsburgh's had. Tell us who they have. Yeah, it's Deontay Johnson at the top. And like I said earlier, it, it's the question of will this team pay him? And I've been I had been optimistic about that. Then I saw the deal that Terry McLaurin got and my optimism mm-hmm. started to kind of uh, sh- shred away because he got paid more than I thought he was. Those are two very comparable players overall in terms of where they were drafted, production, etc. So we'll see, but it'll be a big storyline. Chase Claypool had a great rookie year, had a down year last year. All the off-field stuff I'm sure Ravens fans were chirping about with the you know, drama and music comments and pointing for a first down at the end of the Vikings game when they're trying to get back to the line and just a lot of distraction last year. But the talent's still there. Um, Pittsburgh, I think, will be able to throw vertically better and more effectively more often this year that's going to be a, an, an improvement and a good thing for Claypool um, who this team's starting slot receiver will be is going to be a great question Juju goes to Kansas City don't know exactly who the replacement will be I think guys will mix and match Claypool may play in the slot more George Pickens first round talent in the second round due to the ACL tear uh, a, a year or so ago um, you know I think I think there'll be a learning curve for George Pickens though because the dude's 21 and he didn't. He hardly played last year, and so there's going to be some rust to knock off and and things like that. Um, and, and then behind that, Calvin Austin, as you mentioned, Miles Boykin, former Raven, cut, claimed by Pittsburgh. Uh, we'll see if he can be a special team Z type in, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, so there's two things I want to kind of unpack there. The first is about Boykin because Boykin still has his uh, lovers here in Baltimore, and and you can count me amongst. So I loved his his run blocking to such a degree that you can put up with some of his deficiencies as the X receiver uh, on a lot of plays in, in Baltimore's offense. I don't know that, that Pittsburgh is going to be able to live with that because they're, they're really sacrificing something to put him on the field. But like nobody else you'll ever see, maybe Claypool is, is, you know, could be close given his, who he is physically, but uh, Miles Boykin can keep his feet and block just about anybody in the secondary um, off a run play. And I mean, he could block them 10 yards downfield if he needs to. He could just positionally block them. But the key thing is he keeps his feet exceptionally well. So I think you're going to love that about him. I think, you know, he's probably going to remind you of Darius Hayward Bay in terms of being a great special teams player, uh, you know, who, who uh, uh, you know, was had had always some issues developing his full potential as a receiver as well, I think it's fair to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I and this team needs guys who can block because they— no one could block last year. Like the, like the best blocker they had last year when after Juju got hurt was Deontay Johnson, who's like five ten of Katie, which is a sad state of affairs. Claypool was underwhelming there. He you know he has the size and physicality and the the ability to be a good blocker just didn't happen. And that's that's not the entire reason why this run def- or this run offense struggled last year. But one reason for the lack of explosive runs it's that second level blocking. If your receiver throws a block, that's the difference between a ten and a twenty five yard gain. He just did not get that enough last year. So. Um, Tomlin loves height, weight, speed guys who play in special teams. I think, I think Chase Claypool made a comment in a recent podcast that every time Pittsburgh would play Baltimore and Boykin was still with the Ravens, Tomlin would always ask about Boykin and like just because Pittsburgh had a lot of interest in him in 2019. I think they're either going to take him or Deontay Johnson. They take Johnson because he was more the traditional X receiver to replace Antonio Brown. Um, but I think Pittsburgh has always had their eye on Miles Boykin. 
Okay, well, that's certainly a place where you, you can you can be less concerned that Baltimore got the better player. <laughs> fair, fair point. All right. Uh, and I had another, another question I wanted to ask you about here, and I've forgotten what it was. So this often happens at my age, but, uh, but life goes on. Uh, who, who else should we be talking about on the offense? Maybe somebody we didn't touch on, a position we didn't touch on. I think we pretty much hit everything. Yeah, I think so overall. Um, like I said, I just... I really, I really like the receivers they took in Pickens and Austin. I think those were the two best picks in the draft overall. But you just, there might be a learning curve because of Pickens' age, and and I know Jamar Chase overcame that. But not everybody's going to be the next Jamar Chase. That's just you know reality. And then with Austin, he was more of an outside receiver at Memphis. He's going to probably play in the slot more in Pittsburgh because he's about five eight, you know, buck eighty, and that's going to kind of be his role a bit more. But that's going to be a transition for him as well and an adjustment. So I just wonder what these rookie receivers. And people are maybe expecting too much from day one because these guys have a lot of room to grow and, and a lot of things to learn, to be honest. So finding that number three receiver in this offense may be a challenge early in the season. Also, without you know talking about the quarterback situation and a new quarterback and the growing pains there, and if it's Trubisky or Pickett, you're going to have just some general growing pains of that. So this offense is probably going to struggle to start the year because there is so much newness. It might be the youngest offense in football. I, I bet you if you tally the ages of, of them and everybody else, they would be, you know, top five youngest, if not the youngest offense mm-hmm. in football. And so this team needed to get younger and add, you know, new new talent and stuff like that. But the cost of that's going to be those growing pains and trying to figure stuff out early in the season in Pittsburgh's schedule is unforgiving to start the year. Cincinnati, uh, New England, and then Cleveland. We'll see if the Browns have Watson or not, but um, it's going to be tough out of the shoot. Okay, I'm going to ask you for two things here, and I want these to be a different player. So and let's, let's leave the quarterback out of it because we know how much variance is involved in that. Okay. But the one is the highest variance player on the Steelers, the guy who, who it's, it's the most difficult figuring out exactly where this guy's going to play, and he could be the most impactful. And the second one is the player you're most closely watching in camp this year, that you, you're, you're really wondering who is this guy. I would say... First answer, highest variance is Chase Claypool, and that's a bit of the two seasons. One fantastic rookie year last year. Last year there were moments, but you were as, as frustrated as you were happy with with the plays that he made last year, and it got to be where the bad probably was outweighing the good. Uh, you know this guy's so talented. I mean, the dude is 6'4", 225, runs a low 4'4", has a great vertical. Like He can be a fantastic, dominant receiver. They called him uh, Mapletron because the whole – uh, Calvin Johnson, he's from Canada kind of thing. So so that's the guy that, that has the highest ceiling that has frustrated you the most overall. In terms of um, the guy I'll be watching the most in camp, that's a really good question. I watch them all because I just love getting to watch camp. Um, mm-hmm. I would say probably Dan Moore, that left tackle. Is this your left tackle in the future? The guy that may be protecting Kenny Pickett if he starts or when he starts. You know, We'll see what happens there. Um, if not, then you're probably back to the drawing board next year trying to figure out who your long-term left tackle is going to be. So I think 2022 tells you what direction to go in when it comes to Dan Moore Jr. What what uh, what record would you be happy with with the Pittsburgh Steelers this year in terms of a, of a finish? That's a really good question. Like I said earlier, you know, in Pittsburgh, it's, it's playoffs or bust, and this team has not won a playoff game for six years. But I also understand it's hard to expect a playoff win this year. You kind of feel like this is, this is kind of what the Patriots did bef- the year before Mac Jones had in between Brady Jones, I think with Cam Newton, a quarterback where it was, you were kind of in that transitional phase and it was kind of a quick rebuild reload kind of thing. I, I guess 
and I hate the whole Tomlin's never had a losing season stat. It, it drives me up a wall. But I guess going nine and eight and, and having a winning season despite all that adversity would be conventionally considered a successful season for the Steelers. All right. Alex, outstanding. Always great to talk football with you. You give us a lot of real in-depth, juicy details on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tell folks where they can find your work. Yeah, you can find me at Steelers Depot, of course, and find the whole crew there. We have an unbelievable team. We're growing. Uh, I'm really proud of the work that these guys have done, especially in an offseason like this. It has been very busy and right now very quiet overall, trying to find stuff to write about. You can find me on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. I just have to say lastly real quick because I'm a, I'm a big special teams nerd. Uh, the punter, Presley Harvin, struggled mightily last year. Uh, his job is not safe, and so he better really step it up in camp because with the way this offense looks, Pittsburgh's going to need a good punter this year. <laughs> All right. Outstanding, Alex. Always great to talk football with you. Other folks out there, if you'd like to talk football with me on a film study short, hit me up with your idea, something nice and narrow. Talk about the Ravens for 25 minutes. And if we do that, that's a that's a good topic. I'll be right back with you on it. Uh, DMs are always open on Twitter. Please hit me up. Alex, thanks again. Such a pleasure as always. Thank you, Ken. Take care. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.